I'm Aspen. And I'm Josiah. And this is Asking for a Friend. A podcast about restoring people's hearts through sharing each other's stories. Where every week we have a new conversation with a new friend. Cause I'm asking for a friend. I'm Aspen. And this is Josiah. And this is Asking for a Friend. Hey guys, how's it going? We got Andrew here with us today, willing to be a guest and come on and talk about his story. Andrew's one of my friends, and uh, we've known each other for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. got connected through the Wild at Heart Network. Andrew ended up starting a small group right around the same time that I had filled out the forum on the Wild at Heart website, (laughs) and uh, one thing led to another, and now we're friends. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I know Wild at Heart has been a pretty important part of both of our stories. Mm-hmm. And for those who are not familiar with it, it's uh, John Eldridge's ministry out of Colorado, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and there's should... a companion book called yes. Captivating. Yes, this isn't a promotional thing. We're not getting yeah. paid by them <laughs> We're not at all. getting paid it's by them. It's just been very life-changing for the three of us. And there will probably be a lot of, a lot of content surrounding Wild at Heart during the podcast yeah. today. So if you don't know what that is or who those guys are, highly encourage you yeah. to go check them out at wildatheart.org. Yep. We'll put that in the description or show notes yeah. that you can just go ahead and click on. We're not sponsored by them, but we do appreciate their content. So Yeah. And hey, if John or his sons are listening, <laughs> like send us some free stuff, man. Or come be on come be on asking for a friend. Yeah, I don't need any yeah, more stuff. For sure. Come Sorry. be on the podcast. That would be amazing. Yes. Yes. Andrew is cool. here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How was the journey here? Today? Yeah, today. How was the journey here? (laughs) It was great. No no traffic, which is always nice in Nashville. Yeah, and you're coming from Spring Hill too, so that's a... Yeah, even further south, Columbia. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, Columbia. Just on the border. That's a drive. So, But it's nice. It was a good hour of quiet, clear my head. I have a house with a four-year-old, so sometimes a little quiet drive time is is (laughs) nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I get that. I get that. So I guess just starting at a base level, like tell us a little bit about who you are, mm-hmm. where you came from, how you grew up, all that stuff. Yeah, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and to parents who were both teachers and got one younger sister and um, interesting place to grow up. It was a really, it was a good place to grow up. I mean, a very clean, very community oriented mm-hmm. Um Grew up in a Christian household, and there where I was, I was one of the only non-Mormons. It was a very, mm-hmm. you know, a very LDS-centric place. But um, but yeah, it was a really, we called it the bubble growing up. It was yeah. almost like a very sheltered place to grow up. I mean, my idea of a party in, in high school was like staying up till 11 o'clock, watch, you know, eating pizza or something. That was oh, like yeah. as crazy as it got. <laughs> So, um, but I, my parents were both music teachers and mm-hmm. so I grew up with music at a really early mm-hmm. age. It's really all I thought I ever would want to do. So I played drums and piano pretty early on, but drums was my main instrument. And mm-hmm. so did a lot of that. I started playing professionally when I was 15 in bands with my dad and, um, it was really fun. You know, when your friends are flipping burgers at 15 and you're playing weekends, you know, making a week's worth of money at 15 yeah. it's like oh this is amazing i'm gonna mm-hmm. do this for the rest of yeah. my life and feel like you know. rock star yeah exactly <laughs> you were a rock star yeah yeah, yeah. you have a lot of uh, idealized versions of what that would look like yeah <laughs> so 
Um, but I went off to music school in uh, North Texas near Dallas, and that is where I met my now wife, Natalie. She's also was uh, in music school, was nice. a singer. Yeah, it was a, it was a really great school to go to. Uh, got a lot of really fun opportunities to play and, and then moved out to Los Angeles after that to play professionally. And I'm really glad that I did that. I'm glad yeah. I took that risk. Mm. And, you know, because looking back, if I hadn't, I always would have been wondering what if. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized relatively quickly, even after getting some really great opportunities, getting to meet and, you know, play with some of my heroes growing up, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't the kind of life that I could see myself wanting to continue mm-hmm. in for, you know, year and decades and decades. That's a hard way to make a living. I mean, mm-hmm. many people out here in Nashville know for <laughs> sure. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, Cliff's Notes version, I guess, just sort of started over, found any job I could find and mm-hmm. we eventually ended up moving to uh, uh, Northern California, which is where my wife grew up, mm-hmm. worked for her dad for a little bit in his construction company. And then over the years, eventually, and you know, I'm sure we'll probably get into this a little bit later, mm-hmm. but kind of felt God calling us to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we moved out here in about 2014 and had our son in 2018. Mm-hmm. And that was another big part of our story. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 years it took us to get him. Mm-hmm. We struggled with infertility, which was definitely the hardest thing we've ever gone through. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've learned the one, of the one of the things that we've learned the most about God, about ourselves. Um, and mm-hmm. so, but blessed with having Hunter, our four-year-old now, mm-hmm. and um, just... We love where we live and we're excited to see what God has for us here and believe he moved us here for a reason. And we've seen that in bits and pieces, but mm-hmm. I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface of what he's brought us here for. So yeah. it's kind of the uh, 30,000 foot view. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That was great. That's great. So I don't know if I knew that you moved to LA and did the whole music thing. Yeah. Um, That's funny because we've had a, a lot of our friends just happen to be musicians mm-hmm. and happen to be very you know, creative type yeah. people. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how this podcast has slowly come to be is kind of just a more of a creativity podcast with like a very spiritual Mm -hmm. uh, Christian bent Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious, like how has your faith and your music and your art interacted with each other throughout the years, whether you were in LA or Mm -hmm. whether you're just playing guitar by yourself in your bedroom or piano, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think the, the interesting, the kind of the biggest piece of it where those two things intersect was I think growing up and especially, you know, having a, a gifting in something creative or music early on, it's easy to get your sense of approval or validation from that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when you're, when you're acknowledged for something that you do, any kind of a, mm-hmm. a gifting or a talent or an ability, that's an easy place for a young heart to grab onto and say, oh, I get, I get attention or I get noticed or mm-hmm. I get, you know, feels really good when I mm. perform well. Yeah. And so there was a big piece of my identity and my, you know, my soul, I guess, for back of, lack of better words, that early on realized, oh, I can do something like this really well and get that validation that I'm looking for. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, took that and ran with it. And what I didn't realize until years later and kind of at the intersection of where God started moving me away from doing that for a living was realizing how wrapped up my identity was in mm. performance mm-hmm. and in who I, you know, yeah. it was like when that started to unravel and, and, you know, it was kind of 
I was coming to a realization that that's not where my heart was ultimately what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do, but also God was removing opportunity and kind of taking that out of the the big part of my story. It was really painful, you know, and Mm -hmm. I realized at that point how much of my identity was wrapped up in who I was as a musician. You know, I'm, I'm, how will I, how will people know me if I'm not Andrew, the, you know, the drummer Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. some, you know, that kind of thing. So it really was, an identity crisis, you know, in my early twenties, you know, a mm-hmm. few years into being married and all of a sudden faced with, I have to start over. I've never had a job, mm-hmm. a real job, never thought I could be good at anything else. And so mm-hmm. it was like, God really kindly, but, uh, you know, as sometimes those things are painfully, mm-hmm. um, had to kind of strip my identity from mm-hmm. performance, mm-hmm. music, talent, giftings, to now for me to understand who I actually was as his son and, mm-hmm. you know, as a child of God. And so it was painful, but it was so, so necessary mm-hmm. and important for the foundation of what he would want to shape me into and call me into later in life. And now one of the fun things for me about moving to Nashville was there was no pressure for me to have to come and make anything of myself or prove mm-hmm. anything or, you know, but just happened to land in a place where there's so much great music. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the first church I land at, it's like unbelievable worship every single Sunday. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, now it's just joy. And it's mm-hmm. been able, he's been able to transform it from something that defined me and that I held on to as my identity to now something I just get to do for fun and yeah. just get to experience the joy of the gift of music that he gave That's for cool. for that reason. So I feel like, the phrase identity crisis Mm -hmm. is something that resonates with me. And I feel like a lot of people, especially young people in our society and young, meaning like under 40, I think. Uh, I just barely hit. I'm right. Yeah. Like young families, (laughs) young, young kids, my generation, like still trying to figure out who you are. Like this sort of journey to find yourself Mm -hmm. is a huge thing that people talk about in the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And relating to the idea of identity crisis What's a lesson you learned in this fight for your identity, fight to maybe know yourself mm-hmm. that you think can help somebody else that is facing that battle with, oh, this thing that I did that mm-hmm. once gave my life value, I no longer have. Because I feel like a lot of people had to go through that during COVID where yeah. you lost your job or your, you couldn't do that thing that you loved. A lot of people stopped going to church. How do you separate the identity from the thing? And what would you say to somebody that's going through that? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from a, uh, a guy named Dallas Willard, who is, I think he was a professor at USC for a long time, taught philosophy and has written a lot of amazing books, some of which I've struggled to get through for like 10 years, but just amazing thinker. And, and um, he says, the most important thing about a person is not what they do, but who they become. Mm -hmm. And so really the last decade of my life, one of the overarching frameworks has been focusing on my internal world being greater than my external world. And that's Mm -hmm. really so countercultural, right? And especially can be so in an atmosphere of creatives or people who are, you know, performance oriented or who their identity has been wrapped up in some form of, you know, something that is, there's something to show for, there's something external. And so, you know, when I think about my life over the last 10 years, you know, I'm just a dude with a family and a Mm -hmm. job and 
externally, there's nothing really flashy. There's nothing to really say, look at what I've accomplished or look at, you know, now my identity is this. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's disruptive, but it's been so good in that I don't have to worry about what am I building right now? You know, because we, we all have this image of God in us to create and to build and to partner with him, you know, on this earth that he's given us. But so often, and what I've learned over the last 10 years, really with just the journey I've been on and, and spiritual mentors and the people that God's brought into my life is, you know, the story of so many people that we see around us is being entrusted with something, with a kingdom or with a gift or with something and without the internal world, right, the internal character to be able to hold it, mm. they bring harm to the people mm. around them and typically the closest to them, right? Definitely. You see mm-hmm. yep. the harm to families and to, you know, to companies. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. just like manifests an addiction. Yeah, or absolutely. Anger turn or on the news whatever. any given day yeah. and then you'll see it all over. And mm-hmm. so the focus really for me and, and what I would say to anybody, you know, especially in this season that you mentioned of, young families, young careers, trying to figure out who I am, trying to get something going, you might Mm -hmm. say, Mm -hmm. is that God has a kingdom or a purpose for each of us, but he also wants us to be able to have the foundation of the character to be able to hold that. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been a journey of excavation of really like not focusing on, all right, now that the thing that is you know, was going to define my life, this music or whatever is not there, you know, instead of saying, okay, now I have to find what that is, that purpose, or I have to go out and figure out a significant career path or something mm-hmm. really, you know, amazing to go and mm-hmm. do. It's this choice, this intentional choice day by day, year by year to say, I'm going to focus on who I'm becoming and it's very personal, it's very private, but God is, I have found he's been so committed to it in so many different ways that it's just really freeing. Mm. It's really freeing to say, I don't have to figure out what my next move is, what my career is gonna yeah. be down the line, what my five-year plan or 10-year plan is because I know that he has something for me yeah. and I wanna be ready when that comes. And in the meantime, I wanna become the kind of person that, you know, regardless of what happens, my wife can say I'm loving well. My son can say I'm present to him. My, the people in my world can say, you know, I'm committed relationally to them and mm-hmm. um, not so concerned with all that outside stuff. So kind of a long answer to your question, but it's really a, it's a process. And yeah. It's two steps forward, one step back. <laughs> and yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, and it's very not flashy, Yeah. yeah. but it's, it's been a rescue for me and it's something that has shaped every part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into Wild at Heart a little yeah. bit. Josiah, how has Wild at Heart been a part of your life? What's it oh, done man. for you? That that could be a whole episode <laughs> to itself. But yeah, so to sum it up, um, back in, I want to say 2018, I started really asking some hard questions of life. Like I had just Brie, my wife and I had just bought our first house and we were trying to live the whole suburban dream and it just didn't really feel like us and wasn't working. And I was mm-hmm. like, what, what's going on, God? Like, isn't this what I'm supposed to do? Isn't this where I'm supposed to be? I'm supposed to have the, you know, nuclear family with, you know, two and a half kids and a house in the suburbs and, you know, check all these boxes mm-hmm. off. And um, 
just really started coming to the end of myself and realizing that a lot of the things that I had wanted were maybe not things that I should want or things that were going to lead me ultimately where God wanted me to go. Mm. And I was walking through McKay's one day, which is a, a used bookstore here in Nashville. And I saw this little uh, book on CD, the Wild at Heart book on CD. And I was like, ah, no, my dad read that back in the day. I'll just, you know, listen to it on my commute. And that just totally changed the way that I started looking at my faith and life. It was like everything that church should have taught that Mm -hmm. didn't teach was in that book Mm -hmm. about just how valuable the heart is Mm -hmm. and recovering your core desires and recovering a lot of a lot of just like base level of like who you are as a person. Mm. And, and it's specific to like masculinity and manhood. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So Wild at Heart is the first book that was written by John mm-hmm. Eldridge. It was very specific to masculinity. Yeah. Um, and then Captivating was written by Stacy Eldridge, his wife, yeah. and him together. And that was kind of like Wild at Heart, but for women. Yeah, and I think but, it's really important for people, men and women, to read both. Yes. Yeah. Like yes. to get a full understanding of the differences between how your heart's intertwined. Mm-hmm. Like there's just a reality of yeah. how God created us to work independently and with yeah. each other. Yeah. And having a full understanding, I think, is a really important thing too. For sure, for sure. So after I, I went through a lot of those Wild at Heart resources, and I was just really hungering for a community that kind of, understood this way of thinking, I guess, mm-hmm. about their personhood, about their faith. Um, yeah. So that's what it's meant to me. That's kind of how it brought Andrew and I together. But I'm curious, um, I, I know we've talked about this, you know, off mic quite mm-hmm. a bit, but how has Wild at Heart really been a part of your story? And how has that helped you recover who you are in Christ? Yeah, so I, I had come across some of John's teachings through another podcast. I think there was there's a podcast called The Daily Audio Bible that is mm-hmm. actually based here in Spring Hill, but they've been reading the Bible every single day for about oh, wow. 13 That's years, cool. I That's think. Awesome. I heard some of John's teachings probably around, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in church, been a Christian my whole life, but I had never heard anything quite like that. It was it was really interesting. It was There was just something different about mm-hmm. it. And so... Something uh, captivating. Right? Yes, <laughs> for sure. Something wild, you might say. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Could you say it spoke to your heart? I could say that, <laughs> but then I might be going a little too far. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it just kind of stuck with me. And so, you know, I probably heard about the book at that point, but just for whatever reason, didn't pick it up. And then there was a point in about 2011, and this was kind of right about halfway through the 10 years that we went through infertility. So, um, Mm. but there was a lot of of pain in our marriage and things weren't going well, despite my, you know, best efforts to be Mm -hmm. a Christian husband and do everything that I knew how to do so Mm -hmm. far, which, you know, as John talks about in the book was basically, you just got to be the real nice guy. Like that's, (laughs) that's your job as a Christian man is like to be a really nice guy. And that wasn't working. Yeah. And my wife very bravely and courageously came to me and said, I'm not sure exactly how to put this in words, but there's something that is missing that I need from you as a husband and as a spiritual leader in our family and, you know, pursuing my heart and fighting for me in ways that I, I just don't see. And I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm-hmm. And it was 
one of the scariest things ever because I had no category for that. And I thought, mm. uh-oh, we're in trouble here. And thankfully God just brought back for whatever reason, you know, that was the right time for me to, to go back. And I ordered that book and it was just like page after page of why have I never heard this in mm-hmm. church? Mm-hmm. And I love church. I have nothing against church. I've attended churches all my life. And I think it's a beautiful expression of the body of Christ, but there are certainly some things that have been maybe lost or stolen mm-hmm. from the church. Mm-hmm. And I just found myself getting permission to be what God intended when he gave me a masculine heart. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, desires and just a map and a journey to walk with God into risk and into mm. just being a son. You know, I, I remember just the, the prevailing feeling of my life at that point in my Christian journey was I was trying everything the best that I knew and I was trying as hard as I could. And I just had the general sense that God was disappointed in me mostly. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, read the book and it was just transformative. And then I had an opportunity to go to one of the weekend retreats, they call them boot camps, and um, mm-hmm. got to go to one out in Northern California. And it was one of the most transformational weekends of my life. Just mm-hmm. the invitation to start learning who I was as a son, what my identity in Christ was, categories of things like spiritual warfare that like you actually have an enemy who mm-hmm. is going to oppose any move that you make to move toward the kingdom of God, which mm-hmm. includes fighting for your wife's heart and, mm-hmm. you know, moving toward the desires that God's given you. And so it just broke off a lot of the things that I had learned wrong about God and about myself and about my relationship with him and all of that kind of stuff. So it just came in an absolute time when I was desperate for it and needed it. And it's just opened up so many things really. I mean, it's, it's, it's a ministry, but it's, it's a, you know, I've heard it said, I don't remember who said the quote, but every generation loses the gospel and it's the role of every generation to recover the fullness of what it is. Mm -hmm. And part of what wild at heart brought me was just the full picture of what the gospel was, that it was way more than sin management. Like Mm -hmm. you just, just don't sin. Whatever you do, just get your act together, which mm-hmm. was a lot of what I'd heard growing up, which is just not enough. It's, yeah. it's, it's not enough. Or, you know, you just got to try your best or, you know, it's Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven and you're going to just struggle, but then you'll go to heaven eventually. Like, yeah, those are all pieces of it, yeah. but that's not the fullness of what the gospel mm-hmm. is. And so it was just kind of this treasure chest of, of you know, an invitation into things like, hearing from God, like you you can actually have the conversational intimacy with God. And what is that like? And, you know, just so many things that resonated and is like, yeah, this is who I was made to be. I was just never given the permission or the language to go there. And so it's just become one of the desires of my heart to continue to walk in that path and that Mm -hmm. message and to, you know, to find and walk alongside other men and and Mm -hmm. couples in walking more towards the fullness of what he has. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So in a day and age where marriage rates are at an all-time low and divorce rates are at an all-time high and men are just not, don't want to date, they don't want to pursue relationship with women and women want to party and see as many people as possible and and that has become the norm Mm -hmm. is this hookup culture. And Mm -hmm. how is that... um, how do we move towards the gospel from that? How do we grow in a way like 
becoming that family-oriented person that you're talking about what how, how can we minister to our friends that are going through that and like if we ourselves are struggling in our identity and finding ourselves in that sort of hookup culture and just distance from the desire to have a family what can we do how do we find healing here how have you found healing <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a question I think we can all ask ourselves. Yeah. I'm not the expert. And... She's good at this question, <laughs> question thing. <so>. Yes. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, on one hand, I, I feel perhaps the least qualified to answer that question because it's been, <laughs> been married for 17 years. And I never really, I was thinking about this on the way here, actually. Even before then, I never really, for whatever reason, dated. I don't, I, Natalie was my first girlfriend, really. And I just always kind of had this sense that God had somebody for me and that I didn't need to worry about figuring out who that was. And I think that was probably God's providence in my life and probably honestly saved me from a lot of, you know, what could have been bad decisions. And yeah. But there was also, uh, there was a lot of self-doubt when I finally, mm. you know, Natalie likes to tell the story that the day she met me, she called her dad and told him she met the man that she was going to marry. And oh. I always admired that and thought, man, I wish I had had that much confidence and certainty <laughs> because, you know, I was so insecure mm. as a man when I met her and had such little confidence that I could make good decisions. Mm. And so I second guessed a lot of that relationship and about like, was this really what God has for me or mm. am I messing it up or, mm. you know, yeah. and it definitely took its toll on our relationship and I had to kind of rebuild some of that trust. And so... I think one thing I would say is kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about, you know, I, I can't imagine how much more difficult it is in this culture and in this mm -hmm. day and age and all the pressure to have to figure all that out. But I think if I were in that situation nowadays, you know, and had somebody who could say, here's a piece of advice that would, I would have loved to have was, you know, along the lines of what we were talking about, not worrying so much about who the right person is or what, mm. you know, looking externally to think, how am I going to meet the right person or how am I going to know that's the right person? I would say instead focusing on becoming the kind of person yeah. that the person that you're looking for would want to be with. I mean, and I think yeah. it, it's the same thing for friendships too, to become the kind of person you would want to be friends with. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that takes a lot of the pressure off of those external things of, how am I going to and when am I going to and all of that. And again, going back to how am I fulfilling the purpose that God has for my life? Because ultimately, if he has a purpose for my life, he knows the person that he has to yeah. join me in that purpose in my life. And so if I'm on that path and focusing on that path, he's going to bring that person at the right time and at the right intersection. And I'm going to be ready for that. And so I don't know if that fully answers your mm -hmm. question, but I think it kind of yeah. all comes back to that where's your focus and where's, because mm -hmm. I can imagine having to focus on all the external pressures and what's everybody else doing and what's the culture doing. What and do they I, think? And yeah. what are they going to say? Oh yeah. All of that stuff. I could imagine that being so anxiety producing and mm. just so. Um, I think it's so funny. I heard an offhand comment on a podcast the other day that was like, you don't have anxiety. It's the world that has anxiety. <laughs> like if you don't have anxiety in this world, there's probably something wrong with yeah. you. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's definitely great advice, I think, just to focus on how you can become that person that mm -hmm. somebody would want to be with. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great advice. Mm -hmm.
Thanks, Andrew, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you sharing your story and modeling honest and vulnerable conversation with friends. We had some technical difficulties with the audio for the rest of this conversation, but if we can recover that, we may release it as bonus content at a later date. Thanks everyone for listening to Asking for a Friend, and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Bye! Cause I'm asking for a friend. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Asking for a Friend. We hope to bring you insightful conversations and inspire you to ask challenging questions. You can find us on Instagram at friends4podcast or at our website, friends4a.com. That's friends4a.com. What have you enjoyed about this podcast? Let us know in the comment section. Leave us a rating or review so that more people can find us. And until next time, thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend.